I'm so excited to be here in this moment and in a sense wrapping up our, our last conversation and initiating a new conversation. We've been talking for several weeks about relationships and, and you cannot get into a more gritty conversation than talking about how human beings interact with each other. How to move toward that thing that we long for most called intimacy and yet we fear the most called intimacy. And at the same time though, we're gonna be bringing that conversation to a close we're also going to be launching a new conversation today. We're going to spend the next several weeks talking about how to elevate your life, how to engage in different aspects of your life and elevate your experience, your existence, the reality of that. And that's why it's a, it's a perfect moment to talk about relationships that elevate. And I, I have to make a confession. When I, when I first started processing through this particular talk, I, I was focusing on how to help you identify it and find relationships that will elevate you. And as I was doing that, I realized that I had just bought into the cultural narcissism that we have that's all about us. So instead of helping you find the kind of people that will elevate you, I want to help you be kind, become the kind of person that elevates others. And, and maybe if we, come on, we can do that. If you're gonna clap, you gotta be committed. Okay? <laughs> because so oftentimes, everything we, we, we focus on is about how to get more for us, which is the irony of relationships. If you spend all of our time asking the question, how can I find that right person for me? How can I find what I need? How can I get what I want? You're still missing the entire point of life. It isn't about you, it's about how you can invest in others, how you can be a gift to others. And the core of relationships is that you finally understand that the healthiest and most profound relationships you'll ever have are the ones where you care more about that person than you care about yourself. There's one particular passage in the scriptures that seems to only be read at weddings, which is too late. Because if you're reading at the wedding, it's, it's not likely someone's going to tap out and go, hey, I did not realize the level of intensity this vow implied. In Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verses 9 through 12, by the way, is a passage that we find from the writings of Solomon that he was not directing toward weddings. I don't think Solomon ever thought to himself, I'm going to write this little section for every wedding that would ever happen for the rest of time. And, and in fact, this passage only applies when two people are committing their lives to each other. The crazy thing about this passage is that Solomon is talking about the dynamic of human relationships. We've only applied it to romantic relationships. But it's about life. It's about finding relationships that elevate and establishing relationships that elevate in verse 9, he says, two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Also, if two lie down together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. Solomon is 
is unwrapping a human dynamic that is so profound. And if you remember nothing else from today, I want you to remember this. You were not designed to do life alone. That there's nothing about you that replaces the need for other human beings. Now, I know I may be talking to some most intelligent, talented, gifted, extraordinary, awesome people in the world. I know that you are genius wrapped up in flesh and blood. I understand how incredible you are. But I want you to realize that even if you're the most talented, gifted, intelligent, passionate, creative person on the planet, and even if you have complete understanding of your intention, your purpose, your reason for living, you are still not designed to do life alone. See, yeah, but what about my dreams? Whatever your dream is, if it's a God-given dream, you cannot fulfill that dream alone. Well, what about my purpose? Whatever your purpose is, you were never designed to fulfill that purpose alone. In fact, if you're pursuing a purpose that, where you do not need people, that is not the purpose of your life. If you have... If you have a dream where people simply become tools to be used to accomplish your outcome, that is not the dream that God has for your life. You can know when you're finally stepping into what you're created to do. You can know you finally found your dream. You can know you finally stepped into your intention when you wake up in the morning and go, help! Because once you know you need help, you understand you need people. And by the way, yeah, but what about God? You need God. But the way that God meets our needs is through people. And I think a lot of us want to use God as our loophole to isolate ourselves from others. All I need is God. Is it, it sounds so spiritual, doesn't it? All I need is God. And I want you to know something. If you think all you need is God, you do not understand how God has created you. Because God has created you and he created me to need each other. So the moment you know you need God, you realize how much you need people. So we need to find those relationships that elevate us. And we need to become the kind of people that whenever someone's in relationship to us, we elevate them. Two are better than one. There it is. There's the Basic assumption for life. Two are better than one. This is not addition. This is not even multiplication. This is exponential. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. I love how, how utilitarian Solomon begins. Saying, look, two are better than one because you get more done. Right, so, so if you're not very romantic, like, I don't know, I don't need people. I don't believe in love. You know, and look, he's saying, look. You need to make sure you're someone who makes others better. That's what he's actually saying. Two are better than one because they have a good return for the labor. Anybody think to yourself, not all the time. <laughs> Come on, let's be honest. Sometimes one is better than two. <laughs> if it's the wrong two. In fact, years ago, I, I went on this, um, on this leadership retreat in, in the business environment. And, and they had us all do this, this um experiential learning model called black bear. You're trapped in the mountains, you're being hunted by an angry bear, and, and, and you first have to solve this problem and escape and live by yourself. And then they put you in groups. And then you have to solve the problem in a group. 
And the whole learning process is that you basically get eaten by the bear when you do it alone. And you survive and thrive together as a group. Except I have to tell you, I lived when I did it by myself. <laughs> I absolutely crushed. Because see, sometimes when you grow up feeling alone, you learn how to make decisions alone and you learn how to do things without others, not because you want to be alone, but because you are alone. And then when I got in the group, they were holding me back. I kept telling you, well, that's not how you do it. They wouldn't listen. So I want a new group. My group pulled me down. And so they went around and they did the numerical assessments. Every group had the exact relationship. The individual failed. The group succeeded. I raised my hand and said, I've learned one thing. I don't need people. And I'm just kidding. But what I did learn is you need the right people. See, sometimes you, you choose the wrong two. And this may actually corrupt you. It may actually make you cynical. And, and in fact, have you ever chosen the wrong person and it didn't make you better? You both made each other worse. And, and then you're like, okay, wrong person. But then you pick someone else and it was the wrong person again? And you both made each other worse? Then you did it a third time. You did it a third time and you picked the wrong person again and you both made each other worse. But each time, the only difference is it took you longer to figure it out. You know what you haven't figured out? You were the wrong person. <laughs> the one consistent factor in every one of those relationships was you. It's gonna get worse, I mean better. You see, you need to be someone who makes others better. If every time you partner with someone, it gets worse, you need to deal with some stuff. First of all, you need to keep asking yourself, why do you keep choosing self-destructive relationships rather than beneficial relationships, rather than healthy relationships, rather than people that make you better? Because so oftentimes what happens is we, we choose people who reflect the worst part of our lives because it justifies us living in that space. And what you need to do is you need to choose people who make you better, and you need to choose to make people better. So let me just ask you a basic question. Are two better than one when you're the one who becomes the two? When you're in someone's life, do they have a good return on their labor? Do they get better? Does their life get better? Do they become more productive? Do they become more effective? Yes, this is a really practical assessment. Yeah, you ever been around a lot of friends who are all unemployed? In fact, if all your friends are unemployed, I can know something about you. You are unemployed. See? Because only unemployed people have time, like unemployed people have. If you ever have a lot of friends who just, they just don't have any ambition? He's like, why didn't none of my friends have any ambition? You're going to need to look into your relational mirror. Because if all your friends have no ambition, you know why they like you? Because you have no ambition. You're going, why? Why? No, you need to understand that the relationships in your life are a reflection of who you really are. 
So if you have intention, if you have mission, if you have purpose, if you're trying to do something that matters in the world, you begin to surround yourself with people, not who have it all together, not with people who have already arrived. You surround yourself with people who have the same desire, the same ambition, the same intent. You may all be just trying to work it out, but you're trying to work it out together because when you get together, you have a better return for your labor. I got a text from my daughter last week because we're talking about life and, and mosaic and, and our work. And she says, you have lost your edge. <laughs> I love children. <laughs> Nothing is more fulfilling than being a parent. To have your 28, just 28 year old daughter say, make some moves, dad. Make some decisions. You used to make decisions and not worry about the outcome. You used to make decisions and you just shook everything up, Dad. You have lost your edge. I got my edge back. Because when you have a relationship with someone who will not allow you to be your lesser self, it keeps pulling you up. And you need to be that person. You need to be that adjutant in the life of the people in your life. Saying, I'm not going to let you settle for the lesser you. You need to be someone who makes others better. Two are better than one. Because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and there's no one to help them up. You need to be someone who stands in another's weakness. He said, this is why it's so powerful to walk together. Because if you fall down when you're alone, there's nobody there to pick you up. But when you, when you have someone in your life and you fall down, they, they're there and they pick you up. They stand in your weakness. They stand with you in your failure. They stand with you in your darkness and they do not walk away from you. That's why, by the way, some of you are still in the early part of your story. You're on the way to great success, but you're not quite there yet. This is when you need to pick your friends. See, you need to find your friends before you're a huge success. Because once you've succeeded, it's kind of hard to know who's really your friend. Who loves you or who loves your stuff. Who loves you or who loves your fame. Who loves you or who loves your success. See, that's why when you make friends and you develop friendships and you invest in people and you stick it out together, that you can know they're with you through thick and thin. I've looked back over my life and the 61 years in which I lived, and I, I've seen so many people more gifted, more talented, more intelligent than me who did not hit the full measure of their potential. Somewhere along the way, they faced a failure. They, they stumbled and crashed and burned, and they never recovered from that failure. And people can look at them and think that they failed more, but they actually did not fail more. Sometimes they only failed once, and they never got past that failure. See, I failed over and over and over again. And one of the things I've seen is that the reason so many of those people were defined by their worst moments is that they had not invested in friendships, and so they had no one to pull them out in the middle of their failure. When they fell, they fell alone. And I can tell you in my life, the reason I'm standing here today and the reason I'm not defined by my worst moments and all my failures and, is that I had people in my life who just refused to leave me there. And you need to have people in your life 
who are not just with you because you're getting it done, because you have accomplished something, because you're someone. You need people in your life who know you're going to fall, and they're going to be there with you when you fall. And you know how you can know they're going to be with you when you fall? Because you are with them when they fall. You need to be someone who stands in another's weakness. And we, we have a culture that's the opposite of that. We have a culture where we love catching people in their weakness. We love defining people by their weakness. We love dredging up all the weaknesses from the past and proving they've not changed. We, we have become a culture, instead of pursuing greatness, we despise greatness. Instead of believing that we can accomplish something, that we can be successful, we despise accomplishment and we despise success. And we come to a conclusion that anyone who accomplishes any kind of dream, there must be something so wrong with them. Because it's the only way we can explain that someone became more successful than us is we put them in a darker light than us. And so when they fail, we celebrate. Do you celebrate when people fail? Does it just make you feel good inside when someone else messes up, when someone else falls? It may be more revealing of who we are than of who they are. We need to be someone who stands in another person's failure. We stand in their weakness, and we become their strength in that moment. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up, but pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them. I... My heart breaks for you if you're doing this life alone. If you don't have anyone who's going to stick with you when you fail, when you mess up, when you blow it. You need to have some people in your life. Don't, don't worry about what, what everyone out there says. You need to have two or three people in your life that you know will see it through with you. That will always believe you're going to get back up. That will be there to be your strength when you feel weak and overwhelmed by life. You need to be a relationship that elevates. You need to be someone who makes others better. You need to be someone who stands in another person's weakness. But then he goes on in verse 11. Also, if two lie down together, they can keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? You need to be someone who can be trusted. Now, I think it's interesting because whenever this particular verse is read, it's always read in the context of marriage. So immediately it's it's about sex, right? Because why would you read it at a wedding? Because two are finally going to lie down. I know that's an idealistic view. They've been lying down a lot of times for a long time. But, <laughs> but I'm just working from the ideal here. But he's not talking about that. He's actually talking about surviving the cold nights that are both filled with the potential to die of a frostbite and to be eaten by a predator. <laughs> He's living in a different world. And I started thinking about the odd relationship of being married to one person, Kim McManus, for 36 years and sleeping together. <laughs> and one of the odd things about it is that we both travel a lot. And for me, it's almost impossible to sleep when she's not in the bed. It, yeah, I know. And it's strange. It, 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 it's, it's odd. I, I've now been conditioned to not sleep alone. And I noticed that two things happen when I travel over the years. One is I come back and Kim's been sleeping on my side. 
which I'm not really crazy about. And because uh, we have one of those beds that forms to your body, and I'm like, now it's reformed. It's shorter. And, uh, <laughs> but the other thing I noticed over the years is that we have a dog named Thatcher, and she's not allowed on the furniture. She's not allowed in the dining room when I'm eating. She's not allowed in the kitchen when I'm there. She's not allowed in our bedroom. She's never allowed in our bed. But I've come home and she just jumps on the bed. <laughs> Which told me that when I'm gone, the dog is sleeping in my spot. <laughs> Which I don't know how I feel about that. But it's because you become conditioned. And there's a psychological dynamic to this. And it's built around safety and security. So you cannot sleep peacefully next to someone you do not trust. By the way, it's why a lot of people who sleep together do not sleep together. It's because you want that person to give you pleasure, but you don't really trust that person to give you peace. And if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? How can you gain by yourself the intimacy and the relationship you need? And this goes way beyond marriage. You need to have people in your life that you know have your back. You need to have people in your life that know you have their back. You need to have people in your life that know that you can be trusted with whatever they're going through. And there's something powerful in this. See, when I, when I go to sleep, I'm not worried that Kim is going to kill me. <laughs> I know sometimes she wants to, but I know that she won't. In fact, I know that Kim would actually give her life for me or for our kids. I, I wonder who in your life you trust so much that you could actually go to sleep knowing they've got your back. They're keeping you safe. They have your well-being in mind even over their own well-being. It's a rare thing to have someone in your life that you know will be there for you. That you can just go to sleep and know you're safe. I think every human being needs to have a place where they feel safe. I think one of the great tragedies is that the church became a place where people did not feel safe. The church became a place that was filled with judgment and condemnation, with comparison and competition. And by the way, that's real life. That's not just the church. That's humanity. And we need to create for each other those relationships where people know, I got you. You can trust me. I've got your back. You can rest here. You're going to be okay. It's one of those crazy things, even for me. I, 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 I love playing basketball, but I always have to be careful because I can get really competitive. And, and I know that if I'm playing with the wrong people, that somebody could take my worst moment and just make that who I am. I know. I'm just saying. There are moments I might get upset because I've been fouled unfairly by Jamar Brown King or, <laughs> or, or held. You see, Joe Smith, Joe is a holder. See? <laughs> Joe just, he grabs your clothes and holds it the entire time. And I'm not doing anything, bro. I'm not doing anything. Yeah, I know you. I know you, you're a spiritual leader, but you're a cheater. And, uh, and you know, 
Then my son, my son's like, Dad, you're elbowing me. And I'm going, you're getting too close. My elbow needs space. <laughs> and, and we've had moments. We've had moments. We've had heated moments because we go hard. And I see two guys, two pastors going at it, one with a layup, the other one with the rejection. And they go flying into the ground and damage is done and people are injured and people are hurt and people lose their tempers in a moment. And, and you have to have the right 10 people because they got to be for you and go, it's okay. It's okay, we got, we got each other. And all you hear are the funny and good stories because we protect each other. See, and, and you have to have people you, you know can be trusted with your life and you have to be one of those people that can be trusted. All right, are you here and the moment you hear something about someone, you just love telling it? Come on. <laughs> I, see, I think there's some of you, you just love juicy gossip. And, and the most dangerous thing in the world is for someone to come and say, hey, I need to share something with you. But it's confidential. See, the fact that I have to say that is a problem. See, when, when someone shares with you their, their fears or their brokenness, when someone shares with you uh, a pattern of addiction or an area of darkness in their life, they're not sharing with you so that you can tell other people. They're sharing it because they need someone to open up their heart to and, and hope that you can stand with them in that pain, in that brokenness. They need to know that you can be trusted. And that's a relationship that elevates because the more people can trust you with their life, the more you can get inside of the brokenness and help them heal. It elevates another person when they know you, they can trust you. And it elevates you when you know you can be trusted. Then he says, though, though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. Relationships that elevate happen when you're someone who makes others better, when you stand in someone else's weakness, when you're someone who can be trusted, but also when you're someone who makes others stronger. I, I've noticed this in a relationship. There's this, there's this new kind of terminology that says that we're codependent. Have you heard that language? So you can live in a codependent relationship where the other person has the visible addiction, the visible brokenness, the visible issue, but you're actually codependent because you need that person to be broken. You need that person to be addicted. You need to be careful because you may actually choose people who simply exacerbate your codependency, your need to be in a broken relationship. And a part of the reason we choose broken relationships is that we want someone that we don't feel is better than us. And so when you pick someone who's broken, you're actually creating a benchmark in your life of your own brokenness. And you need to be careful that you're not living in continuous codependent relationships. Now, one of the ways you can know that you're in a codependent relationship is that that person's making you weaker and you're not making them stronger. Yeah. And a part of elevating other people in relationships is that you make them stronger. Now, here's the difficult thing. See, we're in this community, and there's supposed to be wisdom here. Let me tell you something that happens often, more often than it should ever happen. Someone comes with a real issue in their life, and they come and get counsel, and someone tells them the truth. We don't want the truth. We want agreement. We want someone who accommodates us. We want someone who comforts us. We want therapy not healing. And what we need to be careful of is that what happens is someone comes and tells us the truth and we don't like the truth. You say, that's not me. I love the truth. Let me tell you how you can know if you love the truth. When someone tells you the truth, 
do you immediately go to someone else to get a second opinion? <laughs> so the moment you go to someone else to get that second opinion, it lets you know you actually don't like the truth. And then when that second opinion, has this ever happened to you? The second opinion tells you the same thing the first opinion gave you, and you think to yourself, they're just working together. <laughs> they're out to get me. And so you get a third opinion. And here's what you do. You go to the wisest person you know to get an opinion. And when you don't like it, you go to the next wisest person. And if you don't like it, you go to the next wisest person and you don't like it. And then you go to the dumbest person you know. <laughs> to the most foolish person you know. To the most self-destructive person you know. And you go, you know what they said to me? And you act like their input was judgment on your life when you went to them and asked them for input. But you didn't like the input, so you felt it was judgmental. No, it was mental. It was not judgmental. It was a mind with judgment. And if you're not making people stronger, you become a part of the problem. Because it's so much, this is how people create unhealthy coalitions. Unhealthy coalitions happen when people begin to live at a level of mutual stupidity. When they decide, we're, we all agree with each other and we don't like the input, we don't like the insight, we don't like the light that's brought on our darkness. So we're gonna work together to affirm each other in our brokenness. And it looks like love and it looks like compassion. It looks like understanding, but the truth is people gravitate to people who do not make them stronger when they're afraid to leave their weakness and move to strength. I would rather you remember me as a person who refused to leave you in your weakness and called you to your strength than a person who just allowed you to live in your weakness. I don't like getting called out, do you? I mean, I don't appreciate it. I, I appreciate it more when it's in private. I don't, I don't like being called out in front of other people. I, I don't like being called out sort of randomly. I'd rather have it someone who loves me and that I know is loyal and that someone's invested in my life. But let's just be really truthful about this. Sometimes your worst critics can tell you the most important truth. And even if they're not for your good, you can still use their bad intention for your good. And so even if you don't like someone and they critique you, you need to step back and ask yourself, well, is this true? Or is there a root of truth here? Is there something? That, that I need to look at in my life that will make me stronger. Here's the wonderful thing about it. Even someone who doesn't want you to get better, when they speak into your life criticism and critique, they're actually doing you a favor because if you choose to get better, they've actually made you better. You go, hey, thank you. And thank you for saying that publicly about me. Thank you for humiliating me about that. Thank you, even though I was aware I, I wasn't ready to change, but the fact that you said something instigated in me. It motivated me to get better. See, the best thing is when you have friends who make you stronger. The best thing is when you have people in your life that speak into your life and you listen to them as they speak truth to you. But it's also so important for you to love them more than you love being loved by them. You have to be willing to speak truth into people's lives or you will never have real friendships in your life. You have to be willing to risk those relationships. That doesn't mean that you need to be a wrecking ball and just not care and just say the most harsh and brutal things. It means you need to speak things in love. And the goal is not for you to say them. The goal is for the other person to be able to hear them. 
and a part of the power of relationships. It says, though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. See, what you need to be asking yourself is, am I fighting for this person or fighting with them? Am I fighting for them or fighting against them? When you're fighting for someone, you are a part of their defense. You're making them stronger. And I know I am so much stronger because I have Kim in my life. There are so many areas in my life I would not have even addressed if I had not loved someone so much. Because I remember we were dating. There were a lot of times I just think I'm tapping out. I don't need to hear this. You ever feel that way? I need someone who just loves me, who just sees me the way I want to be seen. I, I, I need someone who only sees the good in me, but Kim was never like that. She always saw the weaknesses in me. She did. She always saw those things needed to change. She always saw those things needed to grow. And I had to discipline myself. And there's something kind of odd about it. I kept thinking, wow, that was gutsy. I, did. I thought to myself, that was actually gutsy. She just risked our entire relationship by telling me the truth. And I just kept going back. and I think I need someone in my life who has the courage to tell me the truth. And I think we all need people in our lives who have the courage to tell us the truth. And you need to be the kind of person in someone else's life. You need to be the kind of friend who elevates the people around you. And the best way to elevate is by being a model of what they need to change. See, if, you, if someone needs to be more loving, you need to be more loving. If someone needs to be more compassionate, you need to be more compassionate. If someone needs to be kinder with their words, you need to be kinder with your words. And when you're in that environment, you begin to elevate the room by the person you are. The one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. I remember one time I was talking to J.J. Reddick, who plays pro basketball, and he's white. And I, I, it's important. It's important. And uh, <laughs> so he's limited. And... Uh, and, uh, and you know, he doesn't have the same physicality as, as a lot of other athletes. And he went to Duke, which is my nemesis since I went to Chapel Hill. And so there's a lot of issues there. But, but I was asking JJ about how do you, how do you compensate, you know, for like defense. And, and, and he, he gave me this great insight. He goes, you know, on a professional level, the best athletes can, they can just beat anyone because they're so good. The only way you can actually survive is you have to learn team defense. Oh, that makes so much sense. That it, 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 if you're going to elevate to the highest level, you have to get out of your mind that it's going to be me against this person who's world class. And to think that somehow you're going to generate a natural ability that you were not born with. But if you can learn how to play team defense, it's no longer about how good you are. It's about how good you are with others. You see, I think for a lot of us, we keep trying to get stronger and stronger and stronger by ourselves. And maybe you've hit your self-ceiling on strength. And now you need to learn how to play team defense. You need to learn how to be in community with other people. See, maybe the reason your faith keeps slipping away is you keep trying to hold on to your faith by yourself, but you need other people to hold on to it with you. See, part of why... Part of why we have to do this together is because you cannot do it alone. So maybe it's time to, to be the strength for other people and to realize that someone else's faith may not be as strong as yours. And, and if you're just focusing on your faith, 
what are you doing to the people who need you? You need to be someone who makes others stronger and encourage and, and humility. You need to make them stronger in their faith and make them stronger in and, and, and their belief that their life can matter. And, and look at your friends and go, where can I step in and be strength to them? And just one last thought. The last part of verse 12, Solomon says, a cord of three strands is not quickly broken which is sort of an odd add-in because the whole time he's talking about two and one and two and one and two and one and two and one. And he has this rhythm of two is better than one and two is better than one and two is better than one and two is better than one. Then he says, oh, by the way, three. And he doesn't bring in a third person. So, so many times when people read this, they, they, they interject that, that Solomon must have been talking about when two people come together in relationship to the God who created them. And the application that, that I see over and over again is that when two people walk together, commit their lives to each other, and live in relationship with each other, and commit to elevate each other to the highest level of living. But when they not only bind their lives together, but then they wrap their lives around a relationship to Jesus, it makes them unstoppable. And I wonder how many of us here have people in our lives where we're walking together, but Jesus is in the center of that relationship. And let me tell you, this, this is what has allowed Kim and I to be married for 36 years. See, Kim and I aren't married, but there's always a third person in our relationship, and his name is Jesus. And, and so a lot of things could have torn Kim and I apart, but we're not just two strands wrapped up in one another. We are three strands. You just can't see the third strand. His name is Jesus. And I can tell you that we have a 31-year-old son and a 28-year-old daughter, and parenting is tough. But what happens is that, see, when Kim's in relationship to Mariah or Kim's in relationship to Aaron or I'm in relationship to Aaron or in relationship to Mariah, it's not just two people. It's not just me and Mariah. It's me and Mariah wrapped up in Jesus and me and Aaron wrapped up in Jesus and Kim and Mariah wrapped up, stranded together in Jesus, and Kim and Aaron wrapped up in Jesus. I can tell you, if Jesus had not been wrapping us together, we would have been broken a long time ago. And I can tell you, without any exaggeration, our relationships would have not survived if it had not been for Jesus in our lives. I don't know how some of you do it without Jesus. I don't know why you're surprised that you feel like a broken strand. I don't know how two people can make it if they don't wrap themselves up in the one who loves them. And there's some of you here right now and the strand you need to add to your life is Jesus. You need to realize that you were not designed to do life alone. But when you try to wind your life up with another human being and, and Jesus isn't in the center, it, it just becomes so difficult because you don't have that unifying cord. And what God wants to do is he wants to reestablish relationships at the core of our life. And he wants love to be the driving motive of everything you do. But it all begins with Jesus. It begins by realizing that God stepped into human history and gave his life for you. That his name is Jesus, that he took on flesh and blood and walked among us, lived a sinless and beautiful life, and that he gave his life on a cross so that we could live. And he calls us to a relationship with him.
And when we come to him, he binds our lives together and he teaches us how to live in relationship to one another. And maybe you're here today and it's time to cross the line of faith and put your life in the hands of Jesus. I want you to just look at me just for a moment. You may be here right now and and you've had a lot of questions about God. Maybe you've thought about trusting your life to Jesus, but you never have. And you've been close, but you've never crossed that line of faith. And I want to invite you right now in this moment to choose Jesus, to receive his forgiveness, to receive his freedom, to receive the life that only he can put inside of you. And I want to lead you in a simple prayer in just a moment where you can give your life to Jesus so that he can put his life in you. So I want you right now just to bow your heads and I want every campus pastor to come to the front. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed. If you're here right now and you would say, I, I don't understand everything about God or about Jesus, but I know I need him in my life. I've thought about it, but I'm ready to act on it. Today I want to cross the line of faith and put my life in the hands of Jesus, to have a relationship with the God who created me and who loves me. If you're here and you're ready to give your life to Jesus, I wanna lead you in a simple prayer right now, just one sentence. It's not everything you and God need to talk about, because remember, it's all about relationship. But this is where it begins. If you know you need Jesus, and this is your moment, would you pray with me right now? Jesus, I give you my life. Jesus, I give you my life. Just tell him right now. Jesus, I give you my life. Jesus, I give you my life. If this is your prayer, I want to pray for you. If this is your prayer, I want you to let me know that I want you to take a huge risk right now. And by the way, every relationship requires risk. Love demands courage. And if you're here and you just whispered this prayer, Jesus, I give you my life. I want to pray for you, but I want to see you. I want you to acknowledge this moment. You just crossed the line of faith and gave your life to Jesus. If you just pray this prayer, would you just hold up your hand right now and let me see you right now. Beautiful, beautiful. Anyone else? Wow. All around the room. Anyone else? Jesus, I give you my life. Anyone else right now? Jesus, I give you my life. Beautiful. Anyone else? Jesus, I give you my life. So good. Father, I thank you for the women and men who in this moment have opened up their lives to you. I pray, God, even as they cross the line of faith and, and trust you with everything, that right now, God, you would just wrap them up in your love and let them know they belong to you. This is the beginning of new things. I pray, God, that you would be that relationship that elevates for them, that they would know that you're never going to leave them the same. You receive them as they are, but you will not leave them the same as they came. I pray, God, that even now you would begin to give them greater faith and greater hope. You'd fill them with great courage, God, that you would begin to birth in them great dreams and aspirations. And I pray, God, that they would become the ingredients in every relationship that elevates everyone around them. We thank you, Jesus, and we pray in your name. Amen. Can we just thank God for everyone who's just responded to him right now? So good. So good. One of the beautiful things about 
about life is that life is best lived together. And what we're experiencing together here is community, but it's just the beginning of community, just the surface community. There's so many ways to get involved, so many ways to go deeper. And I just wanna encourage you to not just be a body that shows up, to, to take the effort, to go to the next step, to, to get involved, to begin to serve. There's some of you here, God wants to do so much more in your life than you could ever imagine, but you gotta take a few steps that are fueled by faith and by courage, and you have to decide to serve others and not simply to be served. So I just wanna encourage you over the next few weeks, one, show up every single week. One of the things that you can do to elevate is to get here week after week after week. We're gonna take really careful attention to the messages. We're gonna focus on how to help you elevate your life in every, every arena. So I wanna encourage you to be here to invite your friends. Don't do this alone. If your faith is fragile, go tell your friends who don't believe in God that you're actually trying to follow God. It will change everything. They'll mock you and ridicule you and have a great time and it will inspire you. See, I think you need to put yourself out there. You need to let people know, I'm actually pursuing a, a relationship with Jesus. I'm, I'm actually trying to live a life of faith. I don't care how new you are at it. Take a risk, take a risk and see if it doesn't elevate your life. You may find you have friends going, you know, I've been thinking about that too because I'm sort of tired of existing. I'd like to live. You may be surprised how many people have the same hunger, the same longing, the same desire that you have, but you've been afraid to let them know. So we're gonna sing one more song. I wanna encourage you to get connected, to get involved, and to not allow yourself to be satisfied with the status quo. There's so much more for you. Let's all stand together. And even as you stand, I want you to decide, I'm gonna elevate, I'm gonna elevate, I'm gonna elevate, I'm gonna elevate. See you next week. Thank you so much for joining us on the Mosaic Podcast. I want to encourage you to take the message you've just received, allow it to go deeply into your soul, to allow Jesus to do the deep work that only he can do. And I also want to encourage you to be a part of what we're doing here at Mosaic, to go to the Mosaic app and to become a part of the Mosaic Foundation, to become a regular giver and investor in bringing this message across the world. I want to thank you so much for being here with us. God bless you.